if you have some little subheadings in 1 Samuel chapter 2, you got all the spoilers. You can see we've got two completely different sections of events going on, but they're also related and they go they go together in a fun way. So last time, last time in Shiloh, Elkanah and Hannah had a child, and every year uh, Hannah said, you know, Lord, for your sake and for your glory, give me a child. That was her prayer. Who show honor to you, Lord, for your for your name's sake, give me a child. And the Lord gave her a child, and it was Samuel. And when he was old enough, probably three or four, a little guy, she took him to the to the I'll say t- temple a whole lot, and that's wrong. So just know from the beginning now that when I say temple, I don't really mean temple. Because they didn't have a temple. It was still the tabernacle. It was still a tent. It wasn't in Jerusalem. It was in Shiloh. So every year they would go up make a sacrifice. She would bring some new clothes for him every year. For him to wear for that year. And oh, how much you've grown and all that. And God blessed Hannah. Like she cried out to the Lord, Lord, do this for your sake. And then God did it. And then she said, Lord, I'm going to offer you my whole son. I'm going to dedicate his whole life to you. The, the very last verse of chapter 1 is, he'll be lent to the Lord. He's a loner. I'm going to loan him to God for his whole life. And it says that God went on to give her five more kids. So she didn't have kids for ten years. And all that misery and all that suffering. And, and uh, Penina, Penina, whatever her name was. She's not mentioned anymore, by the way. She was having all these kids and aggravating her. And Hannah had five more kids after Samuel. And just really blessed her. So 1 Samuel chapter 2 is this prayer of rejoicing and praising God. And it gives you a little hint. It gives you a little hint of really what, what's happening. When we pray... For a while I was making jokes at our house. When you help mommy pick up the laundry, when you put away the dishes, you help the whole kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is built on little stuff like serving the people in your house, of caring for one another. This little prayer of Hannah's shows, I mean, having a kid is a big deal, right? But having a child that you asked for, that God delivered in this you know, troublesome time, it affects the whole kingdom of God. Listen to how she prays. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Okay, hold on. What's up with the horn? <laughs> so horn was a symbol of strength and of might and of power. There were horns on the altar to show, you know, this is where God's power is. This, it was decorated with horns. Everybody that ever messed with a bull knew that the power was in the horns of the bull, right? Um, so when she says, my horn is exalted, whatever might, whatever strength, whatever power she has, it is lifted up 
in God. My horn is exalted. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none holy besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. It's so beautiful that she is praising God for having a child. Which having a child really is just a, a real chance game, right? Like we know how it happens, we know what occurs, but gosh, the results are left up to the Lord. And so here she is praying and worshiping God for this thing that really is God's doing and God's work. She's talking about this arrogance and how God is God of knowledge. She's acknowledging that God knows every single thing that we do. That God sees into our hearts and sees our pain. Some of this, she might be looking over at her husband's second wife, who's been taunting her. But she's also just had the taunt from culture. You know how a lot of times we make up in our head what people are saying against us? They aren't really saying that your shoes don't match your belt and you're goofy looking. But when I realize my shoes don't match my belt, then I start to think people are saying that. And I... and. I mean, I'm using that as a stupid example. But we invent all this stuff that people are saying, and we've, then what happens? Then we feel ashamed. Then we have an emotional response to it, even though we think we don't. We try to, you know, it just puts you in a bad mood, all this inner dialogue you have with yourself that isn't even real. God knows all of that. He sees all of it, and He loves you dearly, even in spite of all the discussions you have in your head with all those jerks that don't really exist. That aren't really as mean as you imagine them to be. He knows it. Verse 4, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. It's kind of funny. She only had six. But anyway, she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. She's going through this whole list of giving God credit for failures and successes. What we would call failures, right? That we really can put our hope in God to help us when we're in a lowly and terrible and low state. If you read through Proverbs, like from about Proverbs chapter 8 or 9 onward, you see a whole lot in there about God being the one that raises up the weak. God raises up the feeble. God raises up the those that... Um, this, those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. As people that were stuffed are now trying to work for their, you know, uh, just their daily food, trying to work for that. That's a, that's a, a flipping of the poverty, poverty and riches. All of these are flips just to show that's what if she feels like. She was so desperate. She felt unloved. She felt unworthy. She felt like her whole life was worthless because she had no kids. And now she's been given a child 
that she gets to offer to God as a lifelong offering to Him. And she is celebrating that. He lifts up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. So think through... She is just praising God. Remember last time she was, the last time we have an account of her praying, that Eli saw her and thought she was drunk because she was just so crazy and she wasn't making any noise and she's just praying with all this passion. Do you think she has less passion as she worships God and God has delivered her and provided for her and, and helped her? She's probably got more than ever. So this is a crazy lady, right? She, she is probably praying with all of her heart and soul. And they recorded this. This could have been like a song. This could have been like uh, had a little bit of rhythm to it. Like talking about Martin Luther King. If you listen to any of Martin Luther King's speeches, he, he speaks like a good black preacher at a black church preaches. And there's a rhythm to it, and there's a there's a beat to it, and it, it has a it has a pattern that you want to listen to. It's it's just the sound of it. You you're drawn in. So that's probably how this was too. And so she is just really celebrating, really. <sighs> so we got one hint that Eli's sons. Eli's sons, there are two priests there at Shiloh, are involved and around, and they hear this. And this is just a little fun thing for us, that there are times where you can worship God passionately, and you can give thanks to God, and you can proclaim God's truth, and you can proclaim good things about God. And there are people that will hear you that don't believe or are wicked and evil, or they might be struggling, they might believe in God and know God, but they're struggling with this sin. And just by your praise and worship and honor of God, you have rebuked them. And you have condemned behavior in them without pointing a finger at them, without saying, hey, you did this, you know. Um, I could, be, I could be carrying on about how much I love my wife and how glad I am to be married to her and how our marriage is so awesome and how we work through this and we work through that and how we just grow closer and closer together. And my buddy's sitting there thinking about how he's thinking about cheating or thinking about you know, leaving his wife and thinking about all this and how there's nothing wrong with that and he thinks he can just go do it. And then he hears me praising God and, that, and I just rebuked him, and I didn't even know that I rebuked him. Does that make sense? Um, I use that as an example because that's an example. There's all kinds of times that that comes up. 
where it's more beneficial for us to worship God openly, to proclaim His great deeds, because the Holy Spirit's in that, and then the Holy Spirit will work in other people, and if it needs to be conviction, if it needs to be rebuke, then the Holy Spirit will bring it. Because that's what He does right here, right now. So, she talks about this. She talks about the people that were well-fed are going to go hungry, and the people that were going hungry are going to be well-fed. Well, every time you came to Shiloh and you brought your sacrifice, you would bring some cattle, you would bring some flour, you'd bring some oil, you'd bring some salt, you would bring all this stuff, and you would offer it, and the priests would take it, and there's a section that would this fat would go to God because God knows how yummy fat is when it's hot and juicy. That would go to God. He may have also been trying to save them from coronary artery disease. Depends on which books you read. There's the, the, uh, the, the breast and the shoulder and the leg would go to the priest's and the priests would get that. And then you and your family would get all the rest of the sacrifice after it was all butchered, cleaned up, and cooked. And then you would have this big feast. Well, that is not how the sons of Eli did it. They didn't... Well, we'll read it. First, First Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Okay, top... 10 things you don't want God to say about you. Number one, they were worthless. <laughs> right? I don't know what the other nine are, but I don't want that one to be one. It says in the scripture they were worthless. Like that's how oh, they did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any men offered sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. And all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites that came. So, you know, Cindy makes a roast. It's in the crock pot. It's delicious. Our whole house smells awesome. And just imagine we all sit down to dinner. We pray. We thank the Lord. And I say, whatever I grab with my fork is what my portion is going to be. And it hasn't been cut up. Right? That's what they're doing. Right at the beginning of the cooking. And, okay, what's the deal with a three-pronged fork? A three-pronged fork takes work. It's not just, they're not just casually taking a skewer and sticking it in there. They're taking something that is really meant to pick up a lot of stuff. Does that make sense? These guys aren't digging with a spade. They're digging with a bulldozer. They, they're coming in and they're sticking it in there and they're pulling out the giant thing that you offered to God that's going to come back to your family and you're going to enjoy with your family in the Lord's presence to worship Him. And they're taking it. It gets worse. So not only are they stealing it for themselves, they already got the good, they already got dibs on the fat that would go to the Lord. They already got dibs on the shoulder and the leg. 
which is all good, but they're also taking that. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast. He will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. So they would boil it in a pot, and it's not going to taste as good as on the grill. So they're taking it before it gets ruined. Like they're taking it before you even sacrifice it the right way. And they're demanding it. If the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish. He'd say, no, you give it to me now. And if not, I'll take it by force. How crazy is that? These are people that are going to worship God. And the people that are supposed to be leading them in worship are ripping them off. And like a bunch of parasites living off of them. Here we are, gang. It's 2021. This is still going on, right? Um, the, the, later on, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians that when you come together, everybody has something to offer. Everybody has something to offer. We don't do sacrifices anymore. We don't have a system where one person comes and then the other person can go between God and that person and bring it back. We all have access to God through Jesus Christ. And so these guys are just really messing it up. And any, any hierarchy that's demanding that kind of thing today is doing the same sin, is committing the same, the same crime. Remember how the scripture labeled those people. They were worthless men and they didn't know the Lord. Wow. Pretty hardcore. And when they say no, you must give it to me now or I'll take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. The men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Contempt means you hate it. You don't like it. So here's what's being offered to God. And they didn't even like what was being offered to God. Like not only did they not like God... But when other people would bring things to offer it to God, they didn't even like that. It wasn't like they liked meat. It's not like they were doing this because they were real connoisseurs of steak. It had nothing to do with the steak, right? If, people, if the whole system of Leviticus was set up in offering celery, and they were bringing celery, these guys would be dipping their big old fork in and stealing celery. It didn't have to do with it because they were steak lovers. It's because they, they disliked what people were bringing to God because they didn't even like God. But Samuel was there. Samuel was right there in the middle of all of this. He was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed in the linen ephod. His mother used to make for him a little robe, take it to him every year when she went up with her, her husband to sacrifice and Eli would bless them. He's got a totally different outfit than everybody. He stands out. He's a little kid. He's not any of these big guys that are, that are living off the fat. He's, he's, he's never cut his hair. So he's a little boy with a big old mess of hair. So flip over to the life of Elkanah in verse 20. Eli blesses Elkanah and his wife. He says, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. 
So they'd go back home, and indeed the Lord visited Hannah. She conceived and gave her three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So Eli, through some weirdness, even though his sons are so evil, when Eli proclaims a blessing, first time he proclaimed a blessing on Hannah, it came true and he had Samuel. The second time Eli proclaimed a blessing on Hannah, she had three sons and two daughters. Somehow God is still, when Eli blesses people, they still get blessed. Isn't that wild? God is still using it. So in the midst of all these various ministries that you see on TV and you see these pastors doing horrible things or you just watch and you're like, there's no way that could be Christian. There's no way that could honor Jesus. In spite of all those wicked men, God can still do a lot of things. It doesn't mean everybody at that church with that corrupt pastor is evil. God is still totally active in the lives of his people. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing. What? Eli kept hearing about it. How they would lay with the women who were serving at the entrance. So not only are they stealing meat, but they're smooching with the women that work at the temple. And Eli is hearing about it all the time. He says to his sons, why do you do these things? I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it's no good to report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading. If somebody sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. It was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So there's a couple of real obvious, like what in the world, things here. Eli corrects them, but he still lets them continue to work there. He still gives them total opportunity to continue in their sin. There's a time where if somebody gets rebuked for sin, you remove them from that temptation, right? If they, if they, aren't, if they don't have the power to not do it, but you have the power to remove them from it, take the oxygen out of the fire and remove that thing. And Eli wouldn't do that. He continued to let them, hey guys, don't do that. Who's working tomorrow? You guys? Okay, go for it. Gosh. Then he makes this statement. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if you sin against God, who can intercede? And they wouldn't lessen because it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. In Romans, in Romans 1 and 2, it talks about, Paul kind of gives a history of temptation and sin. And he talks about it in general terms, but sometimes you will see it play out in real life. That someone will run after a sin, and they will run after, they'll give into a temptation, and they'll run after it with such fervency and repetition and consistency that all of a sudden something happens that allows them to sin even more. And you're watching this and you're like, how is that helpful at all? I, I used to have a friend and um, 
his, his boss's wife was addicted to gambling at the riverboat. And he said, just pray that she would lose. Because if she would lose everything, then she'd quit going. But as long as she wins a third of the time and loses two-thirds of the time, she keeps going back and she keeps going back. And it was like, ah, Lord, why do you ever let her win? We want her to stop. We want this to stop. Well, like I said in Romans, there's a point where God gives people over to their desires, even if they're bad. Um, again, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about if there's a person that's in sin that won't listen to you, expel them from the fellowship and hand them over. Hand them over to their temptation. Why in the world would you ever do that? Okay, well, we've heard the stories a lot, right? I just hit rock bottom, and that's when I knew I had to stop. God loves us so much that He does not want us to persist for our whole lives in this little mediocrity level of discipleship. This little semi-lukewarm level of following Him. He would rather, He cares more about us than He does about our reputation or our successes. He cares about us so much that He would rather us completely fail and hit rock bottom and cry out to Him to be the the, uh, the kind of people that Hannah talked about in that prayer, people that were begging for bread, to call out to Him and then to come back to Him and follow Him with all of our hearts, rather than just kind of do this drip, 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 not really follow Him, but not really be away from Him. So God's given these guys over. They won't listen. They won't listen at all. They, they are too far gone. Now, could they repent? Yes. Because it says elsewhere in Scripture, at any time you repent, God is quick to forgive. And that's kind of why God is leading them into, just letting them into worse things so they'll be more likely to, wow, this is really terrible. I should repent from this. Because they haven't responded yet. The boy Samuel continues to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. Really funny, that's almost quoted directly in the Gospel of Matthew about Jesus. He grew in stature. He grew up in the honor, in favor with the Lord and also with men. Everybody likes Samuel. They can tell something's different about Samuel. They can tell his life is different. If there's a, a whole place full of these evil priests that everybody's talking about how evil they are and people are coming and they sincerely want to worship God but they know that all these priests are wicked but this is the only way to do it what a breath of fresh air Samuel would be because he's this young innocent holy kid then out of nowhere comes a man of God we don't know who this is he doesn't ever have a name but he's a prophet and he shows up to Eli and he says, Did I reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Okay, when a man of God shows up and starts asking you rhetorical questions, just get ready, right? You're about ready to get handed your lunch. 
Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. God is saying, I called your family. Your entire ancestry has led up to this moment right now. All, the whole Levitical line has done everything they've done for generations to lead up to you right now. What God's doing, He's increasing the intensity of revealing this sin. Right? Hasn't So much has been done for you, Eli. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And you honor your sons. Oh, right at that exact exciting moment, I jumped to the wrong spot. No, why do you do such things? That's funny. I totally lost my place. Did I choose him out of all the tribes? Why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? You honor your sons above me. So the man of God says, Eli, you honor your sons more than you honor me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering. This man of God is calling Eli out that you love God, you're a priest, you're making a good living at it, but you love your sons more than you love me. Therefore, the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father would go in and out before me forever. I made a promise that you would always serve me. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. They're going to be thrown out. The days are coming while I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so there will not be an old man in your family. He's saying no, none of your generation, none of your line of people will ever live to be old. They'll all die young. Gosh, what a curse, right? Isn't it? This is just total... He's showing, he's showing Eli... You loved your sons more than you loved me. And if you loved them so much, you would have loved me more. You would have loved put God first, and I would have blessed all your generations. But since you love them more, you're never going to have them. You're never going to have great, great, great grandkids. Because everybody's going to die young in your whole line. The thing that you were trying to preserve... Keep your sons happy. Let's not cross lines and not let them take the choice meat from the Lord. Gone. In distress you will look with an envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there will not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar will be spared. To weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house will die by the sword. Gosh! God says, the only person in your family I'm going to leave alive is going to be so somebody will cry about all this and suffer. I mean, God is mad. But look at 
why he's mad, right? We just went through. These guys are, are they're, they're abusing the women that come to worship and work at the worship. Every single person in Israel was required every year to bring a sacrifice. And these guys are just stealing from them and living off of it. And they, they were told over and over again to stop and they didn't. The only, oh yeah. This shall come to your two sons. Now there are sometimes where God proclaimed a curse on people. And he said, but you have really, you've, you really try to please me and you're really close to me. And so I'm not going to make this happen in your generation. This is going to be a couple of generations from now. He said that to Solomon. He said that to a couple of the kings. God is so mad at Eli for his hypocrisy. He says, this is going to happen to your sons right now. Your sons are already too old. They shall be the sign to you. Both of them are going to die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself. I'm not going to let you do it, Eli. I'm not even going to trust you with that. A faithful priest that will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he will go in and out before my anointed people forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him. So whoever's left of your family, Eli, is going to beg this new guy for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. Say, please put me in one of the priest's places so I can eat a morsel of bread. Gosh, this serious judgment is coming down. This is how zealous God is. Remember, this is in the time of Judges. Where it said, there is no king in Israel and everyone would do as they would please. So all of this is going to happen. All of these words of the Lord are going to be fulfilled. It would actually finally be completely cut off under Solomon. Uh, who would order the last of the line of Eli out of the temple forever when they, when they build the temple and all that stuff. Um, and so this just, look at this whole chapter, right? Because it's easy to think there's two different things happening. But when you see Hannah praying and how she is proclaiming that God lifts up the humble, that God, that God exalts the broken down people, And then here you have the people who by their own deceit, by their own lies, by their own hypocrisy, put themselves over other people that God is going to bring them down. And then all of a sudden it puts us into a theme, right? What what do I do? Where am I in this? Well, honestly, in this, most of us probably would be the people that we're getting taken advantage of. Honestly. Honestly. It would be awesome to think of ourselves as Hannah crying out to the Lord and receiving from the Lord and doing this holy thing of offering it back to Him. And that's good. You can see yourself there. I hope you don't see yourself as Eli with these kids that just don't listen because they've been turned over to the Lord. And then you still let them keep doing it. And I really hope you're not the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, doing the evil things, right? But in all of this, there's one person that's in this story that's still with us right now. And that's the Lord. And He is watching over our innermost thoughts and He's loving us. And He's reaching out to us. He's hearing our prayers like our prayers of Hannah crying out. 
He's hearing our prayers like the prayers of Hannah, praising Him. But like the sons of Eli probably heard Hannah pray that prayer. And God is with us even as we sin. To, to help send the Holy Spirit to hear and to listen. Gosh, I need to quit doing this. I need to quit thinking in this way. Or I need to quit solving this problem by doing this hurtful, painful thing. Like these guys, they had a problem of who was in charge, maybe. And one really good way to show who's in charge is going with my fork and I'm going to take this meat and you can't do anything about it and now I feel like I'm in charge. There's no way they could have eaten all that. They were just taking it. So as you go this week, worship the Lord and praise Him that He lifts up, that He exalts and He brings down. And then call out to Him and say, Lord, I want to be brought up by You. Right? I mean, I have all kinds of opportunities to be brought up by myself and to exalt myself. But I don't want to take any of those opportunities. I just want to take the opportunities that you have and that you offer, Lord. And sometimes those are opportunities for us to humble ourselves. Sometimes the Lord gives us opportunities to be the lower and to, to, to submit. And that's where he gets more, even more glory. Because that's what Samuel's doing, right? He's not fighting with his mom. Don't leave me here. All that. Very good. All right, let's pray. Lord, you are so good that you are close to us. That you are close to us if we are walking in righteousness and seeking you out and and crying out for your help. And you are close to us if we are in sin. And if we are doing evil and if we are not knowing you, like it says, the the sons of Eli didn't know you. They didn't respect you. Even when we do that, Lord, you are right there if we turn. And if we we give up our, our own pursuits and to pursue you, you're right there to grab us. And we praise you and we thank you for that, Lord. Amen.